When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to another lovely episode of Jaybird Watching. We have some fun to talk about this evening with our guest, Jason Lee. But first, my best friend and my co-host, Brendan Panikar. How you doing this evening, my buddy? I'm good, dude. It's uh, always good being able to talk about the Jays after two successful homestands, but you throw it in our other sport, the NFL, and both of our teams are off to 2-0 starts, so you can't be mad at that either. Yeah, go Niners, go Bills, and um, I, I'm just going to continue my theme of just yelling, let's go Buffalo throughout the whole year be, between the Bison, Sabres, and Bills. So we're on the right yeah, path on I'm one of those right now. And just missed with another. I'm there with you. <laughs> yeah, you know it, man. I'm right there with you for a few of So with us this evening, though, Brendan, we have one of our old-time friends, Jason Lee, one of our buddies from Jay's Journal. How's it going, Jason? Uh, it's been very busy, Craig, but thank you for the invite, as always. Um Chatting with you guys is always a welcome break. Yeah, hopefully we can just get you out of the de-stress mode. You know, the Blue Jays are doing pretty good, Jason. All of a sudden, it looks like we might be able to finish this season on a high note. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, I haven't watched too closely recently, but I've definitely caught the highlights of the box scores, and I've been really pleased with some of the pitching performances from the young guys how Charlie Montoya has handled a few situations. So, yeah, I'm very optimistic about a strong finish, and that will lead to a strong start in 2020. Very exciting, Brennan. What do you think about how this team has a potential to actually get a little steam rolling here before obvious break before the spring training? Yeah, I mean, last week our episode was a little bit more somber given the fact that they had lost seven straight when we were recording uh, before they had that Boston game when we recorded last Tuesday. So, it's nice seeing some forward momentum. The offense has woken up a bit over the weekend. The pitching has actually been pretty good despite the blowout on Saturday uh, and a little bit of a rout on Thursday against the Red Sox. But, uh, no, all good stuff. People are hitting again. Uh, it's nice to see. And the young guys have really gone out there and pitched really well, like Anthony Kay and TJ Zoic. I know we'll probably get into them later. But uh, all good stuff. And they got the Orioles coming up for six more times. So, you know what? Finish on a high note and take advantage of the weaker opponents and uh, – Go into the offseason on a, on a high note. So we're not going to wait too long to talk about those guys. So I'm going to let Jason Lee dive right into that. That biggest change that we have seen over the last week, gentlemen, has been the fact that the Blue Jays pitching has actually showed up. Offense, obviously, has picked up since the Justin Verlander incident. But, Jason, this pitching has been something bright going on for the Toronto Blue Jays and has some good development possibilities here for the coming year. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, Kay and Zoic have come up. Uh, I've watched both their starts, actually, fortunately. Uh, I really loved what I saw from Kay. He was hitting 92, 93, and with a filthy breaking ball, I see him, you know, as a potential mid-rotation starter for the Blue Jays. And as for TJ Zoic, I feel like he's just a taller version of Mar- Marcus Schoen with all those ground balls. Um, but, yeah, he's been impressive as well. Obviously, I don't see him as uh, have a ceiling. But I could definitely see him as an innings year at the back of the rotation. And then obviously with uh, Trent Thornton, with his newfound curveball he learned from Clay Buckles, he pitched a gem there too. So those are three guys that could potentially be staples in 2020 and beyond. So I am beyond excited at what last week brought for our pitchers. Brennan, pick it up where he left off. Yeah, man. I I was at the game on uh, Wednesday. They had Wilmer Font open the game and then Trent Thornton. Uh, the curveball that he developed with the help of Clay Buckles looked really, really good. Definitely a little bit of a surprise for the Red Sox that night, given the fact they've never really seen Trent Thornton's curveball move that way. So it was nice to see. He was dipping and diving all over the place. So if he can continue that and look good tomorrow night uh, for the uh, for uh, the start tomorrow in Baltimore, all good stuff. But I was at the game on Friday as well, uh, and I saw Anthony K live. There's definitely some batted ball uh, luck or unluck, uh, however you want to call it for Anthony K. But the one thing I've been really, really intri- intrigued by and excited about is the fact that a nobody's barreled the ball off of Anthony K yet, and the average exit velocity off of Anthony K is only 85.6 miles per hour. So he's off to a really good start, keeping the ball down in the zone. And I agree with Jason. Uh, if he continues this, I don't see why he can't break the uh, break the uh, rotation in 2020 depending on what they do and moves they make in the offseason. But uh, Zoic was looking really good yesterday. I definitely want to see a little bit more out of him because, as Jason said, could be a back-end guy. He does give up a little bit of hard contact, but as long as he keeps the ball down too, then uh, TJ Zoic will be fine moving forward. At the minimum, though, right now he's looking like a fifth starter. And, Brendan, I think you hit the nail on the head with that Anthony K uh, stat, and that's why I love having you as our stats guy on the show here and a great host amongst yourself. Because <laughs> <laughs> 85 miles an hour, guys, that's that's freaking weak <laughs> compared to what the hell we're hearing in the quote-unquote new juice ball or steroid air or whatever the hell you want to call it. So the fact that you all of a sudden have him spinning the ball and really mixing up his speeds and keeping up batters off balance – between him and Zoic, I think there's just some great potential there. And the fact I think both of you danced around a weird common factor there in Clay Buckholz. Do you guys think he has an outside chance of being re-signed this offseason as a possible guy to be a veteran and paired with another guy we're going to get to and talk to here? Brendan, I'll let you kick this one off. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, the having a veteran like Clay Buckholz who's had a lot of success in the big league level whenever he's been healthy uh, would be invaluable to the young guys in the rotation next year. There's so many, as we've talked about all season long, but especially so since guys like Kay, Zoic, Vegas, Pack, Thornton have been here around, especially since July. Um, it doesn't hurt to have a, two veteran options in a match view maker and in a clay buckles. And honestly, the way things are going right now, if you pencil those two in at the top of your rotation or spread throughout it and sprinkle throughout it, um, fill it in with three young guys to start next season, whether it's Vegas Pack, Thornton's probably locked in for 2020. And I think the battles in spring training next year are going to be really fun to watch for who can claim those three or two rotation spots, depending on what they do this offseason. 
Jason, you touched on it a minute ago with Trent Thornton and Clay Buckholtz mashing up to bring out more potential in Trent Thornton that we had seen in various flashes throughout the season. How critical do you think that all of a sudden having Clay Buckholtz to talk to has it been for Trent Thornton? Yeah, I mean, obviously, just looking at that one start, it's been a tremendous difference for him. I think that re-signing Clay Buckholtz would be smart if it's on you know, even a minor league contract or a major league contract that's very uh, low minimum guaranteed. But I think the Blue Jays would be wise to realize that Clay Buckles does not have a strong uh, history of pitching many innings. So I think if you brought him knowing that he was going to be the veteran presence, but maybe the number six starter or a number seven starter, I think that would be a tremendous depth option for the Blue Jays for 2020. That's an interesting note, Jason, if he all of a sudden becomes that swing guy out of the bullpen and, like you said, the sixth guy. That's a pretty valuable spot where you might be able to squeak out the last bit of good baseball from somebody like Clay Buckholz. That's a very interesting idea. Um, but, gentlemen, there's another guy that it was the veteran presence and was on frickin' fire to start this season. And I know Brennan Panikar is fuming to be ready to talk about him, but I'm gonna. Sorry, buddy, I gotta let Jason take this one. Matt Shoemaker, 2020, he will be coming back, guys. That's a heck of a bonus for this young rotation, right? Already committed for the next season. Yeah, I mean, I would love to have Matt Shoemaker back. Obviously, like you said, Craig, he had an unbelievable start to the year, and then obviously with the unfortunate injury, he didn't have a chance to really continue it, but. I feel like he could definitely be a quiet leader for the Blue Jays next year as well. If I'm not mistaken, I do believe the Blue Jays have another year of arbitration with him. I don't see them picking that up, but I could see them agreeing to a lesser guaranteed deal. And if uh, both sides are mutual, have mutual interest in uh, coming back together, then I don't see why the Blue Jays don't bring back Matt Shoemaker. Go ahead, yeah, Brian. I think they do have one more, yeah, one more year of control uh, with Matt Shoemaker, but the rumor or the thought by some people on Twitter is you non-tender him and he becomes a free agent, but knowing that both sides are interested in getting a deal done. So I, I think he'll be back. And honestly, I would uh, throw in another option year for the year after. And that way you know what the cost is if you pick up Matt Shoemaker for, I guess that would be 2021. And I mean, if the best case scenario happens with Shoemaker, I don't think he will be the guy who started the year, I think he'll be quite good, probably not at that level, but if Shoemaker stays healthy, he's cheap, and he has an extra year of control, Shoemaker, which is what I thought he would be this year, would be a very attractive trade chip, because I think they're very close to being able to push all of their chips in and start competing with this core, but there's a veteran or two still lingering around that would have some trade value, and maybe Matt Shoemaker can get you another prospect that you can add to that core of prospects you've already started to develop. So uh, I'm 100% on board bringing him back. He was fun to watch. I saw him live once in his first start against the Tigers, and he was unreal going out there and throwing, I believe, seven shutout innings against Detroit. Uh, It was fun, and uh, he can definitely be of significant value to the 2020 rotation. The fact that he pitched just south of 30 innings uh, to get the season off, guys, his BABIP was .183, and he had a 1.57 ERA. Yes, that's only through 30 innings, basically. That is hella production, and I know that's way above his normal, quote-unquote, uh, probably being somewhere in the mid-3.5 area with the ERA. 
But guys, this is a guy that if we were competitive next year, throwing him into the mix with mix with these young players, this is shaping up to be a not horrible rotation when you figure we're going to get one free agent, get Matt Shoemaker, and then we have the collective of really talented high-ceiling youngsters after. We've already seen it this past week of the Blue Jays pitch. The hitting will come. What do you guys think? Jason? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think the pitching right now is really intriguing. You have a bunch of guys that are really similar in you know, Trent Thornton, Jacob Wegisback, TJ Zoid, those uh, mid-to-back-end starters where the, we're three to five, you have set. But the Blue Jays, obviously, they do have Nate Pearson coming up. Uh, they have Alec Manoa coming up down the line. But the Blue Jays really lack a number one or a number two. And if you look at the free agent market, there isn't really anyone that you can... I mean, obviously, there's Garrett Cole. But the Blue Jays, I don't think, will spend the money on a pitcher like that. So the real question for the Blue Jays is, how can you find that ace to fill out the pitching rotation and allow Blue Jays hitters to get the job done on a day-to-day basis? And I think, obviously, with Matt Shoemaker, it's a good start as well. He's a bit, he's on a higher level than the guys I just mentioned in Trent Thornton and Jacob Wagisback. But I do think the question has to be now, where do the Blue Jays find that ace for the future? My hope is that next year, you go into 2020, with a rotation that I would argue could be better than the way they started 2015. You go back and look at 2015, and you started with Aaron Sanchez, Daniel Norris, R.A. Dickey, Drew Hutchison, and I'm blanking on who the fifth guy was to start the uh, the year in the rotation. But regardless, if you can go in with the collective bunch of names that we mentioned, I would say you're off to a better start than you did in 2020. If you're hanging around, there are so many prospects that could be intriguing to other teams. My guess is that they could decide to start pushing their trade chips in as soon as the 2020 deadline and acquire that ace. That would be my dream scenario. Maybe they're still a year away from doing that. Maybe you're looking at 2021 for that. But at the same time, you can't leave that door unopened. It has to be fully open. And my again, I think Shoemaker can hold down that rotation spot. It was a fluke injury, guys. I mean, it wasn't an arm injury. He's over the arm problems, we hope. And the fact that it was a leg injury, he should be ready to go and completely fresh for next year. So if he's healthy, you hold down that rotation spot with a match you maker until a Nate Pearson is ready. Because I would argue that if you go to around June or July, you take your time with Nate Pearson, you manage his innings, and you buy the trade shoemaker. Maybe he gets injured because I think you kind of have to account for an IL stint or two with shoemaker. Then Nate Pearson will come back in and take his place. So it's exciting. I, uh, I definitely uh, think the 2020 rotation could be much better than the way 2015 started off. Yeah, Matt Schumacher definitely brings a lot to the table for this, fellas. But I think looking at this previous white week where the Blue Jays took two series from two of the best teams in the American League East, I guess I can always say that because, you know, we're with the Baltimore Orioles dancing around the bottom right now. But we know that we're on the way up. We know the Baltimore Orioles are not going anywhere anytime soon. So <laughs> the fact that... We took two out of three from the Boston Red Sox. We took two out of three from the New York Yankees, who are quote-unquote one of the best teams in the American League. Guys, did we just prove this point this past week that we can hang offensively with these guys if we get just a little bit sprinkled in? What do you think, Brendan? I do. Uh, I think it showed a lot that uh, you had some Yankees fans that were already saying the Blue Jays have been pesky and kind of a thorn in their side 
for the majority of 2019. And I think you can say the same with the Boston Red Sox, too. I can't remember what the head-to-head records are against Boston and New York, but from what I remember, most, if not all, series they played against both of those two teams have been quite competitive and quite close, and they could have gone either way. So you take that into consideration that, yes, you can hang around with those guys. The Rays... They're always a thorn in our side. they got to get over that at some point. But you can go into next year knowing already you are much better than the Baltimore Orioles. You are much better than the Detroit Tigers. You are better than the Kansas City Royals. There's three teams that you can beat up on when you play them. And then you sprinkle that in by being able to beat and hang around with Texas, Oakland, whoever else it may be. I really don't think 500 or hovering around 500 is out of the realm of possibilities as you head towards the 2020 trade deadline. Jason? I absolutely agree with Brendan. I mean, even if you just look at the lineup this year, I mean, Biggio hasn't reached his full potential. Guerrero, Guerrero Jr. hasn't even come close to reaching his full potential. Maybe Tellez becomes something and becomes the 800-900 OPS hitter that Charlie Montoya envisions. And then you were out with Lourdes Gurriel until the week this past weekend, and then you add him to the lineup and it becomes even deeper. So, I mean, looking at the uh, the roster, one through nine, there are only a couple of holes that the Blue Jays need to fill for them to become really scary, like in 2015 and 2016. So I am, I'm very excited to see how they fill those holes, maybe in free agency or through trade. Uh, obviously, outfield is something that they have to work on. But, yeah, like Brendan said, um, next year I'm very excited. and I could definitely see them pushing for a wild card spot. Guys, the Blue Jays were 7-9. and nine against the New York Yankees this season so far. <laughs> Just there's let still that another series to go. <laughs> yeah, there's still another series to go. I think uh, even if you went one and uh, one and two against them this weekend at Yankee Stadium, uh, you got to consider that a win. Whenever you can take a win uh, at Yankee Stadium, you're doing your job for the most part. And As they continue to grow, you can uh, definitely say that Yankee Stadium, Fenway Park, those places that have given them trouble in the past won't be so troublesome. 2020 because they can hang around with these guys and uh, I'll be interested if they can take a game from the Yankees and finish the season 8-11 and 11, heck with the state of rotation at the beginning of the year state of the offense at the beginning of the year when they first played the Yankees that's, uh, that's a win in my mind even though you're below 500 against them yeah so to start that off they won the first two games at home against the Yankees and then they proceeded to lose the next five period <laughs> against the Yankees so it was a mixed barrel as that Paul Park there where you were just alluding to where the pitching fell off the wheel, guys. Remember, this team started off on fire. Everybody's like, oh, my God, hurry up and bring Vladdy up. we got to run with this thing. <laughs> but, Jason, what do you think that this says to New York Yankees fans? I, I'll tell you my tidbit here in a second, but the fact that we are slightly putting the AL East on notice, at least for our offense. Jason? Oh, I thought you cut off there. Sorry, Craig. Um, yeah, I mean, if they're, if I was a New York Yankees fan, I would definitely be slightly scared of what the Blue Jays could become in the next two or three years. I mean, this is a young team with a lot of future young stars with a lot of salary to work with. I mean, yes, if you're a New York Yankees fan, you can say that, well, you didn't have Giancarlo Stanton for the year, you didn't have Luis Severino. But I still think that with the additions the Blue Jays can make and with the players coming up, if I was... If I was a New York Yankees fan, if I was a Boston Red Sox fan, and I was looking at how, if I was looking at my salary situ- situation, then I would be 
I would be I would be concerned. I think the Blue Jays could realistically challenge for a wild card spot next year, and in 2021, I don't think a division title is out of their reach. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Obviously, the Blue Jays front office need to make the right moves and free agency and with trades. But if I'm confident in this front office and if they if they can make the right moves, then you know Brian Cashman and whoever the new president of Boston Red Sox is going to be should be quite scared. Brennan Panikar. This is a team that has done nothing but, you know, mine every high school, college baseball for blood within families. <laughs> the, was the Guriel family, the Fisios, <laughs> the Guerreros, whatever it might be. The fact that now we have the youngest hitter in Blue Jays history to hit a walk-off home run against the Red Sox. I'm strangely okay with everything that's going on right now. Yeah, it's all good momentum moving forward, man. And I think the one thing that people got to start realizing is the Red Sox are going to start heading into some very, very tough decisions to make as soon as this offseason. Mookie Betts will be heading into the final year of his deal with a ton of salary on the books. Honestly, guys, it would not surprise me if the Boston Red Sox have an offseason of kind of retooling a little bit, given the fact that there are some key guys on large contracts like a David Price uh, just to name one, and a Chris Sale, who Sale hasn't been himself for the majority of the year, and you can see those innings starting to take a toll on him. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some crazy moves that the Red Sox make. Plus, J.D. Martinez, I believe, has the option uh, of opting out either this offseason or next offseason. So there's going to be some retooling the Boston Red Sox this offseason and potentially the offseason after because there's no way. There's absolutely no way. I would be completely floored if they don't make every possible avenue open to them to re-sign Mookie Betts because he is the heart and soul of that team. You can argue that guys like Xander Bogarts and uh, Andrew Benintendi are, but no, it's Mookie Betts that makes that team go. And uh, it, the Boston Red Sox are heading to an offseason or two of some really tough calls, and their roster might be in a bit of a flux over the next little while because those contracts are going to start coming back to bite them in the ass. <laughs> That's the key word right there, my friend. But the fact that there is that chink in the armor for the Red Sox, the Yankees, unfortunately, are kind of in the – their guys are hitting their stride, I think, unfortunately. But they have to build the right pitching and everything around that, and we're going to see CC Sabathia fall off the rotation, and they're going to have to do something this offseason to compensate for that part. There is a chance here that the Blue Jays can catch fire and run with something a la the Tampa Bay Rays. But – the right things have to happen, and I think the offseason is going to be the biggest part of that. But, fellas, highlights from over this last you know, week of games, the fact that we have the return of Loris Gurriel Jr. Jason, how good is it to see him back in left field? It's, I mean, I was very excited for his return. Obviously, before he had hit the IL, he was on fire. I mean, and he had adjusted to a new position. The Blue Jays had finally where I hope finally ditched the experiment of trying him out in multiple positions and him becoming a super utility player. And if he makes that left field position his own, it becomes way easier for the Blue Jays to be able to find one or two more outfielders to fill the roster. Ren? Yeah, it would be interesting to see what they do uh, with the outfield this offseason because there are such a large collective group of guys uh, on this roster currently that... Uh, a, they're either going to have to uh, add or remove from the 40-man because of other guys who are going to need to be added to be protected from the Rule 5 draft this offseason. But 
I think you can pencil in Lourdes Gurriel for left field uh, to open up 2020. Randall Gritchick, as we've discussed before, will be there because he's under contract, and he's still relatively cheap, uh, so he'll probably be manning right. And then I think your only hole, especially because Teoscar Hernandez is such a streaky hitter, uh, a center field is the one area that you may have to make a tough call or two on because you have Teoscar there right now, you have Derek Fisher, and guys, I don't know what the heck is going on with Anthony Offord. He's barely played, and people are starting to wonder, maybe the front office is close to giving up on him. I don't want that at all because I've said so many times on this show, other shows that I've been on, I just see him being kind of like a Lorenzo Kane, a late bloomer. He finally stays healthy and he has all the tools to be a five-tool outfielder. I'm not saying he'll be an MVP candidate, but he can definitely be a three to four win player on a fully healthy season for Alford. So a lot of tough calls are going to have to be made, but having Lourdes Gurriel back, hopefully he finishes the season strong like he was after he moved to left field. Uh, you have two outfield spots locked down for 2020, and that's uh, going to make the decision process a little easier, but also a little more difficult for this front office going into the offseason. Just to say it, guys, who comes back again and back from the IL against the Yankees and has two hit ball game? <laughs> I just hadn't seen that in a while. <laughs> and that first ball he hit, guys, he tattooed that thing. So I'm only hoping that he uh, helps salvage my fantasy baseball team as I picked him up again the other day <laughs> to go running home with the Roto stuff here. But he is a very intriguing bat. i got to find a way to keep Loris Gurriel Jr. in the lineup every day. This is, if he doesn't get hurt, guys, he was running away with the MVP for this team as hitting goes. Maybe not defensively as he's learning a new position, but he had that hitting thing nailed right down to the fact. So, um, Other things, guys. We had some bounce-back performances this week. What the heck is going on with Randall Gritchick, Brendan Pranikar? <laughs> <laughs> he's a bit of a mystery because he's kind of a guy who, when we acquired him, I was pretty excited about. And I still am kind of excited. I don't want to fully buy in, but I... I'm also not going to dismiss the possibility of him breaking out, but I think for the most part, we know what Randall Grishik is. He's a guy who can give you 25 to 30, maybe 35 home runs in a good season, uh, but he will strike out a lot. And when you're a strikeout hitter and you strike out as much as Grishik, you're going to go through a lot of cold spells. The good thing is he is cheap. He's under club control for the next five seasons after this one. So he can be a veteran leader in that clubhouse too, as he continues to get older. But Man, if he continues to improve, he cuts down a little bit on the strikeouts, but then the one thing that's really held him back from becoming a upper echelon kind of hitter around the MLB, the power will always be there, and you need that. My hope in the future, maybe 2021, 2022, when a few more prospects get up here, Vlad and Bo and Lourdes and all those guys are more solidified in their spots in the order, is that Randall Gritchick is the guy who can hit six or seven in your lineup and be able to pop one out at any time. Uh, and keep pitchers honest. It can be a very tough lineup to navigate, especially when Randall Gritchick is hot. Jason Lee, tell me what the Carlos Pena equivalent of the Toronto Blue Jays have in Randall Gritchick, and what do you think is going to happen for him? I actually, it's actually funny you ask, Craig, because I my last Jays Journal article was on Randall Gritchick, and I just think that Randall Gritchick is exactly worth his contract. I mean, he's worth he's going to produce one to two F WAR every year. And he's consistently doing that. He's uh, like Brendan said, a 25 to 30 home run guy. Uh, he's not going to hit for a lot of average, obviously, but he does provide solid defense, and he can play center field and right field. And if you look at the contracts that have recently been signed in free agency, 
you know, Josh Reddick, four years, 52 million. Jay Bruce, three years, 39 million. If you look back, Randall Gritcher's contract isn't actually a bad deal for the Blue Jays. Blue Jays, I think, paid for security. They knew what Randall Gritchick was. They were comfortable in playing him, a, paying him a fair price. And I think that Randall Gritchick will just continue to be the role player that he is and just a safe, one, like I said, one to two F4 guy for the Blue Jays. Just to say, Jason, I did do my homework and I knew that you wrote that article the other day, so that's why I teed that one up for you to pop out of the park. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's all goofing aside, guys. Regardless of what we have with Randall Gritchick right now, this is Kevin Pillar plus, in my opinion, because at least he's driving in runs and he's hitting a lot of home runs. I know Kevin Pillar has more than he has ever had right now with the San Francisco Giants, but guys, we might have taken a little step back on defense, but it's not that big of a step and have a little bit more offense. Jason, am I out of my gourd or what's up? <laughs> Actually, I, I think if you look at the past couple of years, Randall Gritchuk might have produced similar defensive metrics according to Kevin, uh, I mean, compared to Kevin Pillar. So you're basically getting a similar defender. And obviously, like you said, Craig, Randall Gritchuk has way more power. He can... I mean, I would be comfortable putting him in number six or number six, number six one, the line behind guys like Vladdy, Gurriel Jr., Bichette, Biggio, et cetera, and have him, you know, just clean up and on the occasion have those two homer nights like he had a couple nights ago. And, I mean, obviously Kevin Pillar, he was valuable to this team, but I do think Randall Gritchick is very much an upgrade in terms of his hitting. Brennan, yeah, it's uh, – <laughs> For sure. No, his uh, his uh, sprint speed is very similar to Kevin Pillar, and that's what you need to be uh, a good outfielder uh, and one who can play solid defense uh, out there. Very similar in that regard. I believe they're pretty much equivalent over the last few years in, in the sprint speed department. And But you know what? When you look at their OBP, which is uh, a huge indicator of how good of a hitter you actually are, they've been very similar over the last few years. But yeah, Randall Gritchick gives you that power that Kevin Pillar wasn't able to. And this year may be a little bit of an anomaly. Everybody's hitting home runs this year, just like we can see with Kevin Pillar and other guys around the MLB with crazy home run totals. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, Randall Gritchick can be better than Kevin Pillar, especially when you add in the power aspect of it. Yeah, regardless of what is going on with the balls, guys, I don't know if you guys caught it, but on the Yankees feed yesterday, they were showing somebody in the Blue Jay dugout just decimating a baseball, ripping it apart right down to the yarn. <laughs> it was pretty amusing. And I actually forgot to mention this a minute ago, but I could not believe I was watching Yankees announcers actually talking good things about the Blue Jays and what they're doing with their young development with Boba Shett, Vladdy, and company. David Cohn had nothing but nice things to say, and honestly, other than when he's talking about Blue Jays, you know, memories and whatnot from his short couple ter terms with the Toronto Blue Jays, he never says one thing about the Blue Jays during Yankees broadcast, and I was literally floored when I finally heard him talking about that. So, good things with David Cohn, good things with the Blue Jays, but Brendan, I'm going to let you jump in. Roddy Telez, he's been back a yeah, little bit Yeah, he's been... Here. Uh... Yeah, he's been back a little bit. There's still a lot on Rowdy Chalez's game that uh, I'm not sold on him being the long-term guy at first base, but I think you got to give him the spot to start 2020. I mean, he doesn't walk at all. He's hitting 219. You look at his stat cast page on Baseball Savant, his expected batting average is much better at 245, and his expected weighted on base average is 
23, 24 is kind of respectable, but you definitely need more out of the first baseman. But he, uh, he, I think he's done enough to keep a spot for 2020, but I think when the Blue Jays are ready to be a playoff team and competing for division titles, I'm not sure Rowdy Tellez necessarily fits the bill at first base. I, I, I don't see the harm in keeping him uh, when they are a good team, but I, I don't, I, I'm not necessarily sold on him in the long run uh, with this club. Jason, what do you think? Do you think Rowdy Tellez runs away with a job, or is he more destined for a DH bench role? I am actually one of the one of the few people who are optimistic that Rowdy Tellez be, can become a productive MLB hitter. Because if you just look at his past in the minor leagues, he's always had good plate discipline. I mean, his K percentage never hovered above 20%. I mean, he was walking a lot. So I, I want to give Rowdy Tellez the time to adapt to MLB pitching. Obviously, this year he did have 100 or so games where he could play. But at the same time, you know, is that 100 games is nothing for a rookie. I mean, I want to see him I want to see him play a full season next year, even if he struggles. And I want him to know that even even if he does struggle, that he does have that position for himself. So I think Rowdy Tellez can become a good hitter for the Blue Jays. And I know that Charlie Montoyo is optimistic. And based on what he's produced in the minor leagues, I could definitely see him evolving into a middle-of-the-order bat. But obviously, that is a big if. But if that does happen, the Blue Jays have a left-handed bat that can that you can put in the middle of the lineup, and that's going to be extremely valuable. He definitely provides a lot of balance, as you were just alluding to there, Jason, and the fact that he does possess the one thing that you kill to have at first base. He has power in spades, fellas. I'm surprised there's not dents up in some of that concrete where he's been hitting off the facade of the second level so far in the last few weeks. <laughs> but the fact that he does possess that, if he does get the walks and whatnot in check, guys, this is a guy that hasn't been too bad defensively at first base. Salvageable, he's not Justin Smoke, but this is this is a team that when we were good, we were prodding Justin Smoke and Chris Colabello out there in 2015-2016. Are we on that same level of what we were getting in that same time frame from those two? Obviously, eventually Justin Smoke became the Justin Smoke that we know and has been a solid force at first base. But, Jason, do you think that he is in that same ballpark of what we had out of those two in 2015-16? I mean, right now he obviously isn't, but I do think he has the potential to outperform what Chris Colabello and Justin Smoke did. And, I mean, Chris Colabello and Justin Smoke were extremely valuable in 2015. They, you know, obviously that platoon with Justin Smoke batting left and Chris Colabello batting right was extremely valuable in that, you know, you had a number three and number four hitter for most nights. But in terms of Rowdy Tellez, I want, I want to see him have less pressure. Like I said, I want to see him know that he has the job and just really focus on adapting to MLB pitching because I think the walks will come. Like he's always been a good hitter in terms of play discipline. And if you just give him the chance, I don't see why he can't evolve to become uh, a patient hitter that can learn to hit for power. Brendan, you know, oh, I was looking at, yeah, no, I, I was looking at his, uh, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, I think the one thing that's encouraging with Rowdy Tellez is that against lefties, as a lefty, he's flashed line is 250, 292, 471. If you can hit lefties as a lefty, you're extremely valuable. Uh, and there, there's no way around that. So I wonder, now that I look at it, and Jason, you're 100% correct, he was a patient hitter in the minor leagues. 
I'm starting to kind of wonder, maybe he can follow a similar career trajectory to Justin Smoke, a guy who had good numbers in the minors, was a little bit exposed for extended periods uh, earlier in his career with the Seattle Mariners and Texas Rangers, and maybe a guy who, once he finally figures it out, can become like a Justin Smoke. The power, I would say, is pretty similar between Justin Smoke and Rowdy Telez. Smoke, obviously, his whole career has been able to walk, so if Rowdy Telez can pair that power with an ability to take his base on ball and get on base like Smoke, I don't see why he can't maybe turn into the next Justin Smoke. I think it's definitely possible, but uh, I definitely give him a little bit more uh, optimism at the fact you look at his splits and he can hit lefties. Just a matter of righties, because against righties, he's only hitting 205 with a 270 OBP, so he fixes that, gets that up to around the same level as a lefty uh, when he faces a lefty. Uh, all good stuff. And uh, I, I could see him being a 6-7 guy in the lineup, kind of like Randall Griffith, especially because of how deep this offense could be uh, as soon as next year. Yeah, and the fact that he is a lefty, guys, I think is the biggest thing we need to keep talking about here. I'm sorry, we're not going to be trotting Billy McKinney out at first base, I don't think, all next year. <laughs> you know, that's like one of the only other lefties outside of Kevin Biggio. So, fellas, if he's going to get a shot, does he get a shot to run with this in spring training of 2020? Jason Lee, what do you think? Uh, I, I sure hope he does. I mean, the the other option would be, obviously, to re-sign Justin Smoke, and I know that there is mutual interest there. And I don't think that would necessarily be a bad option either. I mean, you know what you have in Smoke. You know you have a veteran presence that everyone in the clubhouse respects. But Justin Smoke in two to three years uh, is not going to be part of the future. So I don't see why the Blue Jays give Rowdy Tellez a chance to prove, him, to prove that he's not part of the future. I mean, if Rowdy Tellez keeps struggling for throughout the whole year, you know, until June, July, then maybe you do have to say, oh, first base is a hole that we have to address. But without giving Rowdy Tellez a proper chance to prove that he is the guy, I don't think you can write him off. Brennan? Yeah, guys who uh, are in a similar mold to Justin Smoke over the last few years have lingered on the free agent market for quite a while. So I'm wondering if they kind of let him walk and say, hey, you've been a, a soldier for us the last few years. You've played on some pretty bad teams. You've been a great veteran in the clubhouse. Go out and explore your options and you have a spot on this team should you want to come back. Knowing, kind of like what they did with Freddie Galvis, you may not get everyday plate appearances, is what we've seen in September for Justin Smoke. He's a fan favorite. Uh, at the game on Friday when he pinch hit and came into the game, he got a very, very loud ovation. And I have so much respect for guys who have turned their reputations around, kind of like Jay Hatt did with the Toronto Blue Jays fan base the last time, or, or when he was uh, with the Blue Jays for his second tenure. Justin Smoke has definitely turned the fan base's perception around on him. So I wouldn't be surprised if they let him explore his options. If he gets picked up, great. Go and try to win yourself a World Series as your career is starting to wind down a little bit as an older guy. But if you're still there come January or February, you could have a roster spot on this team for 2020. That's how kind of I see it playing out. Yeah, I um, I firmly agree with you on that one, Brendan, because especially when you, I'd love to give Riley Tellez the keys to the kingdom, but I'm already looking for a backup plan in our Meyer League system or some other way to get creative automatically just in case it does fail. And the only thing that really sticks out was possibly with the catching platoon shifting Danny Jansen or Reese McGuire to possibly back up at first base maybe, you know, a quarter of the games this season. I would think that's really odd, and I don't want to take that route. But 
if you don't have Justin Smoke and he does sign with that other team, where do the Toronto Blue Jays look? I can tell you right now from what I'm looking at at the 2020 first baseman free agents list, there is jack and or shit here, guys. <laughs> so the top guys yeah. are Ryan Zimmerman, Mitch Moreland, Steve Pierce, Anthony Rizzo will resign with the Chicago Cubs, so I'm kind of lumping him out. Then you get Eric Thames, David Freese, Justin Bohr, and Yonder Alonso. Guys, is there anybody there that's even I'm I'm signing Justin Smoke if those are my options. Yeah. You know, for I sure. think David Freese is an intriguing option. I saw him in a couple of um baseball savant leaderboards. I think he was actually like oh I'm pulling it up now and he was a top eight hitter in terms of uh barrels per plate appearances. I think all of his expected stats are extremely strong and I think Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the past couple of years he has actually been a valuable hitter. So, I mean, obviously, first option would be Justin Smoke for sure. You guys know him. He's a veteran presence. You know, he loves playing in Toronto. But I wouldn't mind a guy like David Freeze or even a Mitch Moreland who has also been valuable for the Boston Red Sox. Yeah, I can see that being options for sure. It's uh, going to be interesting how they handle uh, that over the uh, over the course of the offseason. I don't – they're definitely not going to dip their toes in a guy like Ryan Zimmerman or – or other guys you listed there, Craig. So, uh, yeah, uh, I could uh, definitely see them maybe looking at a guy like Freeze or Mitch Mormon uh, uh, to be a veteran if Justin Smoke is snapped up quickly should he hit free agency. Yeah, the only one I can even really make an argument for out of that is you could probably get Steve Pierce pretty cheap. And he already knows the team. <laughs> yes, he'd have to get used to Mitch or uh, Charlie Montoyo and the new company, but the fact that he's been there and he knows the way around the locker room a little bit, it'd be somebody nice to bring back, and he plays more positions than Justin Smoke. But, guys, that's really, really, like, I'm not even scraping the bottom of the barrel. I'm literally clawing through it. <laughs> so, one last guy I want to talk to here before we go through the last couple things here, guys. Teoscar Hernandez. Center fielder? Outfielder at all, or is he destined for a DH spot with how streaky he is? Brendan, I'm going to let you feel this one first. Yeah, I'm going to be very interested to see what they do with T. Oscar this offseason because he has looked better in uh, in center field since he's been put out there. You look at his uh, baseball savant page and you look at the MLB rankings, they kind of have a little line graph. And, and when you're further to the right, you're uh, closer to the tops of the major leagues. His sprint speed is incredible. Uh, and that's really showing in center field. When he was a uh, Houston Astros prospect, and when he first came to Toronto as an Astro and hit his first career home run here, he was playing center field and looked very comfortable out there. So I, I, I wonder, and this is extremely out there, but to make room for other guys in the outfield when you have Gurriel Jr., Fisher, Jonathan Davis, if Alford's still here, Billy McKinney, and Randall Gritchick, if they're not sold on T. Oscar there long-term and Justin Smokes does go, it really wouldn't surprise me to see them try to open up their options and maybe try to Oscar out at first base, kind of like what they did with Billy McKinney. I think that's a very big reach. But given the way this runoff is values positional flexibility, I don't think it's that much of a reach to think maybe they get creative. I'm giving you points Oscar for Hernandez on this roster. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you got to start thinking about these things. They, they, they did it with Billy McKinney. So I don't see why you don't maybe think of exploring that possibility with the Oscar. Uh, oh, hell, we threw Lars Gurriel Jr. in the left field, literally. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he played first base a little bit too this year. So uh, props for creativity to the front office. Uh, they are always exploring their options and ways that they can maximize this roster and the resources they have. So 
it's not out of the realm of possibilities for me to, to get get a little weird uh, in the off season in spring training. Jason, Oscar Hernandez, it's it's tough because he has the raw tools to be a very very productive major league player. I mean, obviously as Brendan alluded to, he has the speed to play good defense, and obviously we know he has the power. And since the All-Star break, he does have 124 WRC+. plus. At the same time, he has a 38% strikeout rate. So I think his, I knew it was bad, his options I knew it was are bad. running. <laughs> it's tough. It's, um, Blue He's, he has so much potential, but can the Blue Jays afford to keep giving him playing time when they have guys like Anthony Alford, Derek Fisher, et cetera, et cetera, to try out? And I think, was this year his last year? Or maybe do they give him a, a, a spring training to prove that he has become a changed hitter? But I think that if he continues to struggle in spring training, he continues to strike out, I think the Blue Jays should just cut him, cut their losses, and just give playing time to other players. Because if he continues to strike out, then the Blue Jays have plenty of hitters that can strike out and have plenty of power. So I want to see them try out some more players at that position. I'm the school of thought. If he can't play in the field, his hitting tools are very intriguing. If he has nothing but time to focus on hitting guys, we've seen plenty of players through major league history. All of a sudden in the DH role, Edgar Martinez (laughs) and some of these other companies that couldn't play the field and hit at the same time. And all of a sudden they become really, really ridiculously good at hitting. Do either of you envision Teoscar Hernandez in a DH role and just, finally putting some of these pieces together. I admit that the strikeout rate probably isn't going to take a dig, big ding, maybe 5%, <laughs> but that might be enough, guys. Could be, and that's why I'm starting to think maybe they get a little weird and try him out of first base because, I mean, we saw Edwin Encarnacion absolutely bloom as a hitter once he didn't have to focus too much on playing defense at third base when they moved him over to first base and DH uh, full-time, so Maybe that can have some more effect. Honestly, I, I would have to go and look at this and do my research on it, but I'd be interested to see Edwin's numbers when he was playing third base compared to Oscar in the outfield because I think there's some similarities there. His strikeout especially rate was when it comes pretty to the high. Yeah, and for both of them at the same time. And then Edwin figured it out once he moved to first base and DH and didn't have to really worry overly much about defense. He actually became a pretty decent first baseman. He definitely wasn't a liability over there. So... I can see it. Uh, ultimately, though, I think I'm more in the camp of Jason. If uh, he doesn't work out in the outfield, it, you, it, you may just have to cut bait with him if they don't explore first base or DH. Jason, you want to put a bow on it? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, 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 I think that Blue Jays can't afford to give Teoscar Hernandez at bats at DH simply because I envision Vladdy as their future first baseman or DH. And I think the eventual plan that the front office has in mind, if you look long-term, is to move Vladdy into that first base designated hitter role and then bring up Jordan Groshans to become the third baseman. And I think that maybe next year you could afford a couple hundred bats, maybe 300 at-bats for Teoscar Hernandez to see, like I said, if he solved that strikeout problem, to see if he's, you know, acquired more play discipline skills. But at the same time, like I said, I think those at-bats could go to a player like Anthony Alford, to a player like Derek Fisher, who the front office believes can make a difference. And unfortunately for Teoscar Hernandez, he he has had the chances that, Ra- that a guy like Raddy Tillis hasn't had. And so far, he hasn't proven that he can be a productive player for the Toronto Blue Jays. 
So I think, you know, spring training rolls around. If he's an improved player, then you take him for the 2020 roster. But if it's the same problems, I think you just have to cut bait with him at this point. Why do I feel like Jason is already sending him off to Tampa Bay to haunt us forever? (laughs) (laughs) That that seems to be the way things go, doesn't it, guys? (laughs) It's always something like that. It goes somewhere that we know. It's like, oh, yeah, it's okay, great. You know, you hear you, you go get your change of scenery, your new shot, and then Oh my God! <laughs> At least we got one of those with Jose Bautista for the change change of scenery out. So, all good, fellas. But I do have one thing that we have to talk about here, and it's gonna have to get a little serious. Tim Mesa, ow, guys, that was a hard one to take, and it looked rather rough on the mound. This is not gonna be an easy fix for the Toronto Blue Jays, as Tim Mesa was projected to more or less be the lefty guy out of the bullpen for the extended amount of future. This is a big hole we're going to have to fill, guys. Brendan? Yeah, it's uh, it's a tough loss. I mean, I was growing a little bit tired of Tim Mesa. Uh, he really struggled, uh, especially in the second half of the season. But at the same time, he, there's a guy on Twitter, I'm not sure if you follow him, uh, his, his handle, I believe, is at Dr. Mike Sun. Uh, he wrote for Baseball Prospectus in the past, and he tracks uh, a stat called fatigue units. And Tim Mesa was used seemingly every single day. So it really wasn't a surprise to me to see his arm finally give out, given his high usage and what Mike Sun coins as fatigue units. So it's a big loss. He was growing a little bit frustrating to me as the season went down, but he still is a valuable guy as a lefty out of the bullpen, uh, especially one who can, for the most part, eat decent amount of innings. But there are some options down in the minor leagues. I mean, I've talked about him quite a bit, and Craig, I was impressed with him when we saw him live in Buffalo. I really am intrigued, and I think it's almost time to give Kirby Snead a shot. He's 24 years old. He's really solidified himself in the Buffalo Bison's bullpen. And honestly, I think Kirby Snead, knowing that Tim Mesa is out for 2020, uh, will have a shot to win the lefty job uh, out of the bullpen uh, come the 2020 spring training. Jason Lee, weigh in. Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously tough to see any player get injured and we unfortunately had to see it with Matt Shoemaker earlier this year and then Tim Meza. So I just wish Tim a quick recovery, a full recovery. And I, I know that nowadays the success for Tommy John surgeries are much higher and that pitchers are sometimes even come back stronger. So I hope that's the case with Tim Meza. But as um, Brandon said earlier, I, I am also intrigued with uh, Kirby Snead. I don't know if you guys, uh, follow the account, but uh, Ryan D. Francesco is a extremely, extremely good minor league guy for the Blue Jays, and he posts a lot of videos of uh, minor league games, and so if you don't follow him, go check him out. But yeah, he's posted a couple of videos on Kirby Snead, and I've seen him, and it's I think a lot of his stuff has to do with deception, and I could definitely see him as a lefty specialist for the Blue Jays next year. He has the ability to do a very good job against right-handers, and um, friend of the show, Ryan DeFrancesco, does a very good job of finding the most ridiculous spin videos for all Blue Jays pitchers throughout the Meyer Leagues. There's a few of Kirby Snead just... It looks like he's doing like a freaking tomahawk toss, guys, (laughs) with his curveball. And it's good to see somebody like that, because outside of him... The names don't get quite as exciting, you know. You got guys like we maybe Tom Panone finds his way into the bullpen because he doesn't find his way into the rotation, but then it's the Buddy Bauschier's ballpark of player 
nothing super to write home about, but I think there's some potential there. But he's also on the flip side of 30, where all these other guys we're talking about are in their mid to late 20s. And I think that's the big thing here. We're a couple steps away on left-handed arms. So is this a place the Blue Jays are looking to invest in now that they know Tim Mesa more or less is gone until at, at least after the All-Star break, guys? I don't know if there's anybody even worth investing. <laughs> I'm just asking, is that a place they dive into full-on? Jason Lee, yeah. what do you think? I think um, I'm a big believer that bullpen pieces should be kept as short-term as possible. I know that there are a few people even who want to re-sign Giles, and I definitely get that. But I think the volatility with relievers is just so high. I know that we talked about this in an earlier show, I think, but um, even if you look at the past few years, you know, Andrew Miller, uh, Kenley Jansen, Fred Kimbrough, these guys were some of the best reliever arms, and they have not pitched well lately, and I think that Blue Jays should not invest in a lefty arm. I think that, you know, the investment, maybe they make a small investment, maybe they go for a guy... And hopefully, turns out like Sinwan O did a couple of years ago. But I don't think you can commit big money to a big name reliever just because of how past precedent shows that it usually doesn't work out well. I agree. Uh, I don't think they'll dip their toes into a big free agent signing, uh, especially in the bullpen. They've had so much success over the last few years in identifying guys who linger on the free agent market pretty close, if not at the start of spring training. I mean, we saw that with Sinwan O, as you mentioned, Jason. Uh, Tyler Clippard last year, John Axford worked out, and they were able to get a, uh, a return in Corey Topping for John Axford. So that's definitely the way I see them looking at it. Uh, there's not that many big-name lefties that are going to be on the free agent market next year. I think the biggest one is Aroldis Chapman if he opts out, but he'd be silly to opt out of this deal uh, with the New York Yankees. But beyond that, Jake Diekman uh, kind of goes year to year. Maybe they consider a short-term deal with Diekman. Uh, you look elsewhere and Aaron Loop, <laughs> I'm not interested in a reunion with him. Sorry. He's a free agent if he uh, if uh, they don't pick up his club option. But then there's other guys like Tony Sip and Will Smith and Tony Watson and Johnny Venters. Just just not that many arms out there. And uh, there's a whole other debate to be had with what to do with Ken Giles. I'm sure we'll get into that uh, as the season winds down and we go into our off season mode. But uh, I'm in full agreement with Jason. I uh, kind of let it uh, be very short term. You pick up a guy late in free agency and hope he works out and flip him at the trade deadline and uh, just uh, let your internal resources and pieces uh, figure out the uh, bullpen next year. Fellas, I'm going to go out for a way-too-damn-early prediction here. <laughs> the Blue Jays are going to go Rule 5 draft on a lefty, and they're just going to hope he figures it out. Anybody think so? I can do that. Oh, yeah, lefty arm, Rule 5 draft, only pick they have in the Rule 5 draft this year. I can see that. Why I not? can definitely see that. Yeah, everybody else yeah, is on minor is. league deals, so if you got a guy that you're going to just throw into the fucking fire, <laughs> and it works out, you have Joe Biagini, great. If not, what would he do? Let him go back. Well, you, all, you also, now that you mentioned the Rule 5 draft, Travis Bergen, who they lost to the San Francisco Giants, is now back in the organization and he's had big league experience, and he's a lefty, so it would not surprise me if Travis Bergen could become an option uh, as soon as 2020, considering that a team was willing to take a flyer on him. So Bergen, but I, at the same time, yeah, I can definitely see the Rule 5 uh, coming into play like it did with Luciano this year. It's awesome that he'll be able to go down to the minors and work things out and grow a little bit more because 
Luciano could come back in a few years and be a very intriguing option in the rotation. So it'll be interesting to see how they play that. But uh, I would uh, 100% agree with your prediction, Craig. All right, Jason Lee, I'm going to let you feel this one because you were so excited about it a minute ago. Ken Giles hits his 20th save of the season. <laughs> Do you think he's found his form after the arm injuries and at least is built, building up a little momentum to head into the offseason here with some confidence after what has been a up-and-down season from him? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. He's been he's been absolutely lights out for the Blue Jays this year, and obviously it was unfortunate with the timing of injuries that he couldn't go pitch for a contender. But, yeah, it's great that he's finishing out the season strong. Um, his peripherals are amazing. I mean, they always were. Back from back, um, going back to his Houston State, they always were. And it's just a great story to see how we traded Roberto Suna for a guy like Ken Giles, and we didn't really lose that much. And I am a big Ken Giles fan, I will not lie. I do love him throwing those 99, 100-mile-per-hour fastballs and his wipeout slider. But at the same time, like I said, it's it's really tough to commit on a reliever long-term just because of how past precedent shows. But they're so volatile. I mean, Kenley Jansen, Craig Kimbrell, these guys are guys that could have Hall of Fame careers, but they just fell off. And Ken Giles, obviously, there's the emotional attachment, but I don't know if you can commit money and salary to a guy for a long term. With my uh, my buddies at the game on Friday when Ken Giles came in and pitched, I said if Ken Giles was guaranteed to be here for the next three or four years, I would have his jersey already. Uh, it's uh, probably going to be the biggest talking point this offseason is what they do with Ken Giles because they have him for another year of control. You can see both sides. You run him back out there in 2020 uh, to start closing games for you, especially if you're in it and you just ride the season out with Ken Giles and maybe you resign him, but I am in the ballpark with Jason. I'm also in the ballpark with our guest last week, Hayden Godfrey, who said the one thing a rebuilding team doesn't need is a lockdown closer. And coming off of the season that Ken Giles has had, I just worry that he would turn into somebody like an Edwin Diaz this year for the New York Mets who was probably the best reliever and closer in baseball last year, Edwin Diaz, and is now one of the worst and is not very trustworthy for the New York Mets as they are just a few games back in playoff spots. So it's a risk on both sides. If There was a lot of interest in Ken Giles apparently last year at the winter meetings and whatnot, and they didn't pull the trigger, which probably will end up working out for them. So I would expect much of the same. They're probably going to field a lot of very good offers for Ken Giles and Honestly, I'm going to say I'd be more so shocked than not if Ken Giles uh, is not traded this offseason. I think he will be. Why do I feel like B.J. Ryan is way too prevalent for both of you guys in your memories? (laughs) (laughs) So on that note, fellas, I want to finish with a fun note here. Twitter last night for Blue Jays land completely blew up with all sorts of shenanigans, whether it's Danny Jansen dressed up as Officer Dangle from Reno 911 directing traffic, or it's Boba Shett doing his best Macho Man's Randy Savage Slim Jim commercial impressions, or, you know, just Trent Thornton and um, I forget who his partner was as the Blades of Glory. <laughs> Guys, how fun was it to see these rookies having a good time with the rest of their teammates for something that was obviously meant to be quote-unquote major league level hazing this is in the ballpark of the pink backpacks going to the bullpen and stuff with me it's fun shenanigans they're not forcing to do anybody like this i just thought it was more funny that i couldn't tell that jonathan davis was actually the green ranger (laughs) 
Uh, Jason Lee, how important is this kind of fun and shenanigans for a team that obviously isn't going to finish this team with a playoff berth, but these guys are going to be still together, 90% of them, this coming season, and they're going to probably be competing next year. You know, as a fan, it was really relieving to see. Obviously, the Blue Jays have struggled this year, and as a young player, it could get mentally taxing. And to see that these guys are still having fun is incredibly relieving as a fan to see that they're bonding. I mean, I think it's really, I think it was really important that these guys have played with each other through the minors. You know, they already have those relationships, those friendships. And I think that it is an incredible base that the Blue Jays can build on. And just the fact, I don't think they've had this fun since, you know, David Price bought everyone scooters and everyone was riding on scooters in the clubhouse. I mean, it's it was so, so exciting to see that these guys are having so much fun playing baseball, even in a down season. And it just makes me even more excited to see how much they, how much fun they'll have when, you know, they are competing for a World Series title, right? This is something, obviously, yeah, I, I think we're going to see more of this kind of stuff moving forward. Obviously, that's not the kind of stuff you necessarily get with a more veteran ball club. It's more stuff, like Jason said, with David Price buying scooters, or I forget who it was that bought the team those bathrobes that Marco Estrada, I believe, still has with the players' names on the back. Those are a lot of fun things. But, uh, I mean, we've seen this with guys or with managers like Kevin Cash or Joel Madden in Chicago. Once you instill this kind of fun-loving atmosphere in the clubhouse and have themed road trips, I think it was the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, or a team that came to Toronto earlier this year that dressed up in their best Canadian tuxedos. Uh, it's, it's this kind of fun stuff that reminds you, yeah, these guys are human, and it's an important element of the of a baseball team to have when you spend so much time with your teammates. Just having fun, relaxing, taking your mind off baseball, and it was nice to see them parading through the streets of Toronto yesterday. It was nice also to me that they didn't just rush off to Baltimore and spend an off day there. They were able to sleep in their own beds in Toronto, have some fun once they took the series from the Yankees and probably flew up to Baltimore at some point today. It was uh, a lot of fun, and uh, I think my favorite was uh, Danny Jansen because that was definitely clearly uh, a stripper cop outfit. <laughs> <laughs> clearly neither of you have seen Reno 911, and I'm just dating myself because <laughs> it was a stupid show on Comedy Central while I was in college, and it was, I had friends that dressed up as the whole entourage of that show for Halloween one year while me and my buddy dressed up as Ale- or, uh, Wayne's World for going to see Alice Cooper. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just, I, I will highly recommend that show. It's hilarious, but oh my God, it's basically how that character was through five seasons worth of nonsense. It was the lieutenant in charge <laughs> and he's wearing freaking cutoff shorts because he was quote unquote too athletic to be contained in pants. <laughs> so... I just think it's hilarious that we see this kind of stuff, and I love the, the fact. I, the one thing I just keep asking, who is the actual veteran that is the ringleader in this nonsense? I don't see Justin Smoke as the one that's pushing people through the meat grinder here. I almost feel like this is them just goofing around, and it's the quote-unquote rookie, ha- rookie hazing. <laughs> Based on the uh, the Instagram posting stories, I think Randall Gritchick had a pretty, pretty big hand in this because he was filming it as they were walking along. He was teasing guys on his Instagram story, especially Jansen. And uh, one of the Power Rangers, I believe, was also Anthony Alford, who he was teasing, couldn't see his phone through his costume. So I wouldn't be surprised if Randall Gritchick had a very big part in this. 
I think Derek Law might have been the other ringleader from some of the videos, or he was the one that was just happy making sure that everybody in Twitter land and Instagram world knew what was going on in the Blue Jays' <laughs> locker room. <laughs> so, fellas, it's that time where we wrap things up. It is pick-to-click time. And Brendan Panikar, somehow I didn't write your pick down last week. So, do you remember? Oh God, I uh, I think I went on the. Oh no, I I remember now. I uh, I went on the offensive side of things for a change after a long, probably a month and a month and a half of sticking on the pitching side of things. I think I picked Derek Fisher. Uh, and he definitely wasn't uh, the, the winner this week. <laughs> yeah, I kind of, uh, now I recall this conversation because I remember you and Hayden Godfrey went Reese McGuire, and I was like, nope, I'm doing a U-turn, and I picked Anthony Kay. And, fellas, other than that one inning, I don't know, Reese McGuire also had a decent week. I'm going to put this one up to vote for Jason Lee. Reese McGuire, Derek Fisher, or Anthony Kay, who are you giving the MVP to last week? Uh, I think it has to be Anthony K, right? <laughs> I just wanted to hear him say it, Brendan. Chalk <laughs> <laughs> it up. Chalk it up. There's a win. <laughs> uh, so at the moment now I am victorious with four wins on my picks to click. Brendan, you have three, and our guest spot has two. So with that being said, Jason Lee, you are our guest. Who do you think is going to finish this week? coming up here against the Baltimore Orioles and the New York Yankees, who's going to be the Blue Jays' standout player? Uh, I'm going to go with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I think he's going to be invigorated with this return, and I think he's going to pop off. Not a bad pick, my friend. How about you, Mr. Panikar? Uh, well, the offensive side of things hasn't been friendly to me all year, so I think I'm going to have to go back to the pitching side of things. And you know what? One guy who has really played his way into a spot on this team and probably a very important spot for 2020 is Wilmer Font. I uh, continue to be impressed with him as an opener uh, when he's getting the ball two times per week, opening up for guys like uh, Thornton the other day or TJ Zoic yesterday. or I, I can't remember who. I think it was Font who opened yesterday. But regardless, uh, I'm going to go with Wilmer Font and go back to the pitching side of things. That's gotten me a few wins. All right, so fellas, I'm going to go back to an old favorite, and even though he's splitting time right now in a platoon situation, I have a strange feeling that Danny Jansen's going to take his little shorts and just run with that confidence they built up walking around the streets of Toronto. (laughs) So I'm going to pick Danny Jansen. (laughs) Good pick, man. Good pick. You know how much I love Danny Jansen, so I'm always on board hearing that. So anyways, Jason Lee... This is your time to shine. What is on the cur- on the stove for you, man? What's cooking? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm still at Jay's Journal. I think based off of this conversation that we had tonight, I'm going to be inspired to write my next post on why the Blue Jays should attempt to fight the urge to re-sign Ken Giles. But um, I just wanted to thank you guys again, Craig and Brendan, just for having me. It was a pleasure, as always. The conversations we have are just always amazing. And, um, yeah, thank you always for the invite. Anytime, my friend, and we are always excited to see what you're doing at jaysjournal.com. So all our listeners, make sure you check out Jason Lee's good, fun stuff. And our old company, Brendan, over there, still doing a good job. <laughs> That's right, yeah, some uh, good content. Jason, your stuff is always uh, enjoyable to read. I'm going to have to uh, give a read to that Ken Giles piece because uh, he is a, a favorite of mine. And honestly, man, it's great having you on every single time. And I like that we built up this uh monthly guest spot for you so we'll definitely have you back on again once the offseason rolls along into october yeah sounds good anytime guys 
All right, so Brendan, um, do we want to let the cat out of the bag of my next visit? I feel like you're the one that invited me, so go ahead and run with it. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Uh, Jason, this is open to you, too, if you can make it down. I know you're in London, so that's two hours away. But uh, anybody listening, uh, the last home game of the season, uh, which is also the last game of the regular season, where they start every major league game at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on that Sunday. Craig Morton, you will be coming down. So if you are in the ballpark or you're thinking of going to catch one more Blue Jay game uh, on their final homestand of the year, uh, definitely reach out on Twitter and we can have some good stuff, take some pictures, uh, get it all over social media, have a great time. And uh, I will say now, I will have to wake up at probably 5 a.m. to head to the airport to fly out for a work conference in Los Angeles. Hopefully we don't get too carried away, my friend. <laughs> so all I hear is you'll be passing me your beers. Got it. Roger that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. Done. That's right. I am not going to. <laughs> yeah, you can do. Uh, you can pick up my end of the uh, end of the slack here. And as I have to walk around the next morning after you kick me out of the apartment to sober up before I can get in my car, I guess it is what it is. I guess I'll just have to hope there's some other Blue Jays fans that want to get a coffee and breakfast the next morning after we hang out on the flight deck with everybody, goof around. And like I said, um, other than taking pictures and talking to everybody, we got a fun conversation going. We're going to hit the record button. We're just going to see what happens, and we're going to take that into our first off-season show or before we start doing Major League news for the playoffs, Brendan. We're going to keep it weekly, right, before uh, the season, right. season's over with? No, we have to. Uh, I think uh, within our stride the last little while, got to keep it weekly. And even if we go more generic MLB, I'm always down for uh, conversation, especially with how fun playoff time is. And that's before we get into our goofy off-season uh, off shenanigans with movie talks and <laughs> all the other stuff. we got to have a few more couple weeks of normal everyday baseball goofing. And there's always some fun stuff to talk about baseball in the Major League Baseball playoffs. So we're just going to run with that. Until then, though, Blue Jays fans, we got a couple more weeks. There's 11 games. We're hoping the Blue Jays finish strong. Make sure you keep turn- tuning in. We're going to have all the news and wonderful fun for you here, wherever you get your podcasting pleasures from, whether it's iTunes, Google Play, whatever. Um, Yeah, we're going to be here for you to chat. And as always, we will have people on the show and any kind of chit-chatting you would like to do with us on social media. Until then, guys, what do you think? Let's go, Blue Jays. (laughs) Let's go, Blue Jays. Let's go, Blue Jays. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.